this episode of Collapse Talk, we'll be discussing recent escalations and protests around the world, including Hong Kong, as well as the recent betrayal of Kurdish rebels in Rojava and the invasion of the Turks. So we have a lot to dive into today. So thank you for coming in and welcome to Collapse Talk. Hello humans and welcome back to Collapse Talk. This is episode four. I had taken a little time to compile just different world events. A lot has happened in the last couple of weeks since my last episode, so we'll just dive right into it. Worldwide, domestically, and also naturally. So uh, I just wanted to touch up on just different protests around the world right now there's actually internationally about 13 of course we have the hong kong protests that have been happening for some time now uh, over the weekend the police had released a mask ban saying that any protesters in the streets with any masks on any any way to obstruct their faces would be arrested on site which only escalated the violence or escalated tensions. Things over there in Hong Kong haven't been getting any better. Uh, any, there hasn't really been a peaceful reconciliation yet. The executive, Carrie Lam, she had withdrawn the with extradition bill that was so controversial among the amongst the people of Hong Kong. But now they've only escalated those tensions just from the response from the police and also just pressure from the mainland from Hong Kong from Xi Jinping so yeah it's interesting because these people in Hong Kong as I said before they're fighting for their lives and they're essentially an anti-Chinese revolution or I should say anti-PRC so it's really a prologue to something that's could that could be that could grow into something substantial, something uh, that could pose as a threat to the mainland, and that's certainly what not something that they want. Uh, of course, the mainland has a lot of control over the uh, the country, over the people, the media, 
right now the Hong Kong protesters aren't exactly seen in the most positive light uh, in the public. And it has everything to do with just media and controlling information. So Hong Kong is still, in a way, seen as a rebel state. At least these protesters are. They're seen as rebels. And they're only going to try to find ways to escalate those tensions so that way they can say, see, these people are out of control. We have to go in to assume control, to put them in their place. So I really, when I look at this situation in Hong Kong, it's, uh, it's, a, it, yeah, it, it, it's frightening for the most part because you don't know which direction this could go in. I mean, you, you can't do anything but admire them for their bravery because uh, if they if they're ever seized, then there's a high likelihood of them being taken to some sort of camp. I mean, we do know now that the Chinese government is operating camps uh, with the Muslim minority there, the Uyghurs, and we also know that they have been there have been reports of organ harvesting uh, from prisoners taking their kidneys or whatever. So it's it's really dystopian if you really think about it. This is a truly, I, I don't like to use this word, but it's really like an evil empire. And yeah, just everything you keep reading about them is just, well, I don't say them as in the Chinese, just the, the way the government is operating. And yeah, it's frightening. So of course these people are going to try to fight back in any way that they can because this is the greatest threat to their lives. So those protests and those uh, tensions and violence, they've been racketing up and, you know, some parts of Hong Kong look like a war zone. I mean, it could be just the media, it could be just a small area, but it, it's really, they're getting bolder, it, the protesters and the police. They're really taking steps, and it doesn't look like anybody's backing down. Now, we, we there was reports of the first person being shot, and they were in critical condition. Nobody's been killed yet, but people have been shot. Uh, there, there's now like live rounds being fired at these protesters, not um, on mass, not like a massacre just yet, but you never know because it's a tense situation and everybody's afraid and yeah i mean you can't really trust these police officers to hold back because they're they view it as the enemy they view it as a threat they have to put down so it would make sense or not for them rationally to do it but it's not out of the question for them to for somebody to have open fired and it's already happened so that's really a moment that you can't take back you can't take that shot away and now these people know for sure that they're being targeted i was watching this uh speech by one of the protesters and it was rather inspiring it was sad in the way because you could see, you could hear the anger in his voice even i mean in hong kong they they know their english well so of course they were going to speak uh, some English to get the message out. A lot of the graffiti is written in English. 
I mean, English is a main language there, but they also know that with the media, that they're going to get more exposure and the message will be sent abroad. So this protester, he started speaking, saying how right now they're gearing up for another Holocaust, dehumanizing these protesters and the other. And yeah, it's truly remarkable the way that he spoke. It made me feel that I, hearing a foreigner say something, well, I shouldn't say foreigner, some, as an American, hearing somebody fighting for their freedom, fighting, saying outright that we are willing to die for this, that's something that strikes a chord. I mean, of course, we're a nation funded on revolution. So seeing other people fighting for their freedoms and for their lives should strike a nerve with us, should, you know, it should speak to us. I don't know how well that's been circulated across the social media, but I feel like that's something that most people should see so they can understand just how severe this situation is in Hong Kong. This is a developed first rate uh, city state. And right now they're experiencing what's amounting to an insurrection. I mean, to, to some level, but still, it's a political revolution in the making. So with the Hong Kong situation, that's still developing. So we'll have to see where that goes. But it only appears to be escalating, and it only appears that both sides aren't backing down. So we can speculate all we want, but we won't exactly know how how it's going to unfold until it does. So we're just sitting here as the world, just watching. But yes, another uh, round of protests that are occurring much closer to home, actually, in a, in a region that should be more focused on. Uh, in Haiti, there have been um, so a series of protests and series of violence. Uh, what has happened is that fuel shortage, they've, ex been, they've been experiencing uh, shortages in food, rising prices, shortages in fuel. In general, it's been a combination of neocolonialism, neoliberalism, and climate change. So all these different factors are playing into an economic crisis that is threatening the people of Haiti. Haiti already, to begin with, has been struggling, so they're going to experience the, the brunt of this uh, crisis. It's mainly due to climate change. I mean, Haiti is a region in the world, historically being um, a slave colony for the French. They had deforested and cleared out acres upon acres uh, for their sugar plantations. And so they've uh, been experiencing, you know, as a result of deforestations, the, the region becomes drier, just not as much rain as before. And the entire just ecosystem, the soil, just everything gets, gets affected. There's a considerable difference between the two countries on the island. There's the island of Hispaniola, Haiti on the east side, west side, excuse me, 
and Dominican Republic on the east side. And so the Dominican Republic has, in relative terms, a healthier natural environment, ecosystem, not as much deforestation as to say with Haiti. Another thing with Haiti is they, they're heavily dependent on charcoal, so that only speeds up the deforestation and how that's going to affect the environment there. So in Haiti, they've been riding, they've been demonstrating. There was a case of them raiding a bank, breaking inside, setting fire. And yeah, it you know, these people are desperate. They're going to get out to the streets and... They're demanding now the resignation of the president, uh, Hovenel Moise. And it really speaks to just how fragile our globalized economy is. So one thing about Haiti is that they were in partnership with Venezuela, with Petro Caribe, which was a group that the deal was that they would sell Venezuela would sell fuel to Haiti at a discounted price in exchange for goods, Haitian goods. And so that was how Haiti was able to get cheap fuel for some time. But as we know now that Venezuela has been essentially collapsed economically, they're not able to fund and supply as much as they they were before and that's affected just the the production of fuel and how much Haiti has been supplied they've removed the subsidies for fuel so prices have rise there I mean they've been experiencing pressure from the outside of other nations so it, it's just it really speaks to how fossil fuels, our fossil fuel economy uh, affects different nations, especially developing nations who don't have the means to acquire that, that they have to import it. So of course they're going to experience that. Um, I would definitely look into the Al Jazeera article on this. This is where I've gotten most of my information from. But yes, it's with Haiti, it, I've read somewhere that it's a breeding ground, possibly, for the next stage of piracy within the Caribbean. I mean, these are people who are economically disadvantaged, same as in with uh, Somalia. Most of those pirates were fishermen, and then they had to resort to other means when they couldn't support themselves off fishing, mainly because of overfishing in the Arabian Sea. So in Haiti, with this economic crisis that is occurring, it, it, it could possibly spiral into a situation where there could be a hotbed for terrorism or a hotbed for pirates. You never really know, because when people are struggling to just to get by, just to feed themselves. They'll resort to anything, really, to do that. But Haiti, I myself am Dominican. My family is from the Dominican Republic. So 
you know, and I just recently came back there this summer. So it's really interesting for me to hear, to read all about this this unrest in a neighboring country on a small island, mind you. So anything really that happens on one side is going to affect the other. So I don't want to think that the situation in Haiti could devolve into violence or a regional conflict. If anything, I would like to think that they would be more more concerned with defending their borders. But there is a level of discrimination that they have towards Haiti, which is irrational. You know, racism and discrimination is inherently irrational, so it's not like there's any sense to it. There's history behind it, but it just doesn't make any sense. It's really just more keeping people divided. And it's interesting, too, because this is something I have to live with. This is, you know, this is some level of racism that I've seen, you know, firsthand. I've never been taught to treat any Haitian like that. I know every time I've met a Haitian here in the States, it's always been, you know, friendly. It's always been loving. It's almost like they're, they're our neighbors. So, of course, we're going to get along. But over there is a different story. Which is sad because they, they could, you know, working together could help them both nations out. But they would rather be suspicious of each other. So I'm just speculating because I don't think the Dominican military or government would have any qualms intervening if it gets serious enough. But it's not really at this point. I think the U.S. government would do most of the heavy load. But it would just be a quagmire, just like it was in Iraq. But it would be right here on our front door. So it's, yeah, it's really, it's developing into one of the first geopolitical crises in the Americas. Directly result of climate change. I mean, there are other regions in the world, of course, you know, the Amazon and also within Central America. Which has been one of the most the, one of the driving forces of migration towards America, the United States. I mean, climate change really is just a big catalyst for most of this uh, unrest in the world. So yes, all over the world, so far I've been reading there are a series of protests occurring. So just to run down. You know, I can't, it's not that I'm going to be able to cover everything, but just the fact that people around the world are upset, they're pissed. I mean, there there's, it makes sense why they're pissed. They may not know it, but yeah, there's, there's some unrest going on. So there's been in Iraq, a series of protests against the government. And so far, at least 90, maybe a hundred have been killed. Uh, the Militia forces, paramilitary forces, opened fire on a group of protesters, and they've just, you know, started killing them for whatever reason, against corruption, also economically and unemployment, people can't get a living. I mean, Iraq is, you know, we fucked that place up, so obviously things haven't been better. And within Cairo, 
there have been another series of protests against the president Sisi. He uh he came into power shortly after the president President Mohamed Morsi. He had stepped down and Sisi took control. And yeah, Mohamed Morsi had passed away recently. Uh had a hearing, I believe, from a sudden heart attack. But yes, the, the president now in Egypt, Sisi, who is notoriously authoritarian, so when he seized power, it was a sign that the revolution didn't really go anywhere. But they've been protesting there, demanding his resignation. I haven't heard anything about any violence towards the protesters, but again, you know, as these demonstrations continue, you never know, especially with countries with regimes who have no need to keep the people happy. They just want to seize power. Also in Bolivia, there was a series of demonstrations. Millions came into the streets and uh, essentially there have been fires within the wilds of Bolivia, the same fires that are linked with the ones in Brazil that still are still burning. And in Bolivia, it's just been ravaging acres upon acres of land, killing wildlife. I mean, this is just climate change again. But they're, you know, they're coming onto the streets demanding something. Now they're they're afraid, they're worried. So that that's within their right. This is their home. And again in Indonesia, some more demonstrations, protests. In Indonesia, they were about to pass a resolution that would, among other things, it's mainly targeting premarital sex and couples that are unmarried. You know, there would have been there would have been fines and jail time for those who had sex or lived together without marriage. So it's just that, you know, the, the Indonesian government has been passing some resolutions there. It's not Sharia law per se, but they're definitely have heavily influenced by Islamic code of law. I mean, it's not to mention other uh, laws considered homosexuals. Indonesia and the way, I mean, I like Indonesia. I would always wanted to visit that place, but there are some there are some things that they can improve on. And also in Russia, there have been demonstrations again, uh, considering demonstrators who were arrested on false charges of rioting. It's the Russian government. They don't really need a law or a reason. They just do it. But these people are coming out again and demanding action. And they're demanding, they're, they're demanding the release of these protesters who have been arrested falsely and so that's just a rundown of a series of protests that are occurring around the world there's more happening in france uh, in lebanon but i i can't really t highlight on everything it it just speaks to how people are pissed off right now they're having enough and the question really is how, is, how are the people in power going to respond to this? Because whenever uh, any 
populist movement takes hold around the world, you can sense the pressure within the leadership. And so their reaction is really indicative of how serious this is going to be, how, how, how far are they going to go to maintain power and to make sure that they don't lose. I guess for them, it's either you win or die. I mean, this is the Game of Thrones, so yeah, it, it's just interesting to see how things are unfolding right now. But today also, I wanted to touch up on a significant development in world news that just came out recently. And it's, it concerns the Kurds within Syria, specifically the region, uh, the semi-autonomous region, Rojava. But what has happened uh, in that region, at least today, within the last 24 hours, the Turkish government under Recep Tayyip Erdogan, he has greenlit the invasion of this region to effectively commit genocide. That's really the, the, the reason for them doing this. And they're going in to put down the libertarian front of the Kurds who are out there fighting against ISIS militants, against anybody really. They're, they're just a group that have been fighting on their own. They've been fighting for millennia, really. You know, their own protection. See, it's the YPJ, or their translation, People's Protection Units. So, yes, they are fighting in this area of Syria that was heavily controlled by ISIS, and they were essential, they were a vital ally in defeating ISIS. They wore, they bore the brunt of that attack. So if anything, you know, the only troops that we would have down there were just special forces operators or advisors, but it was the Kurds out there fighting. And they took a gamble trusting us. They took a gamble coming to us. And we just stabbed them in the back and we've left them for dead. And they're not going to trust us again. They're going to hate us for sure. And I am not surprised at all if we become a target in the near future. These people are fighting for their freedom, fighting for their sovereignty, their survival. And they just get thrown under the bus continually by whatever imperialist power is in control. So now with the Kurds on their own and being left to hang dry, they're they're gonna fight back and they're gonna fight hard and the Turks aren't gonna be in for an easy war. I'm just concerned really with their reaction towards us and also other allies around the world because the fact that we just threw an ally under the bus speaks to how we're willing to treat others in their time of need. So the United States is really beginning to isolate itself right now. Without, without a doubt, this country will go down with nobody backing it. And any country that th continues to support us m might have questionable 
reasons for it. It's strange now because we're we're beginning to position ourselves ourselves with nations that have authoritarian leaders. I mean, Trump is cozying up to Putin. Trump is cozying to Xi Jinping. He's cozying up to Salman or whoever his prince is, Salman bin Muhammad. Yeah. We're, it's, it's obvious what's happening. It's obvious what's happening. And either we're too scared to address it or you just don't know. But what Trump is doing is destabilizing the world order so that way he can cement his own. He's establishing our government so he he can establish his own. I mean, he's not a good guy. I mean, the, he's a power-hungry guy who's going to win no matter what. And, you know, I've said this time and again, he's a fascist, so his version of the truth is the only truth. It, he, he presents himself as a strong man, but he doesn't have anything to offer. There have been reports that during the call, he kind of just rolled over for Turkey. So he really has no spine. He has he's a lot of talk, but he has no spine. He's not a commander in chief. He, yeah, he doesn't command any respect and he can't command anything. He can't tell his I mean Turkey has no obligation towards us except really, you know, NATO. If anything, we're we're more obligated towards Turkey because they're strategically important, economically important. So yeah, it yeah, just this development today has been, it's eye-opening. There's a lot of talk about just how going forward our role in the world stage will be and how others will view us. And it's only just going to isolate us more. More people are not, they're just not going to trust us. With good reason. Nobody should trust us. That's the fucked up part. People look up to this country despite its deep flaws and people are very aware of this country's flaws but they still look up to it because it's an idea and there there's ideas of you know freedom and individuality and fighting for yourself and yeah we just throw them under the bus so we're just gonna have to watch and see what happens i am absolutely sure that in the coming days as this <clears throat> Invasion and operation unfolds. We'll see some incredible footage, to say the least. It's hard. It's really heart wrenching, because those people have been fucked over for years. Yeah. So that kind of touched up on some geopolitical developments around the world. So now I wanted to talk about some domestic developments and quite a lot has happened to say the least it's one of the reasons why i didn't upload for a while it's just this story was just coming unfolding and unraveling so quickly it was really hard to keep track of it so we have this whistleblower scandal and to summarize it the president of the united states 
had called the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, and he had pressure, military funds, military aid, used that as leverage against the president, asking him to, inve <clears throat> asking him to investigate the Biden family over their connections abroad. So that does bring into questions into question how far the president can investigate his political opponents. You know, Biden is one of the front runners for the Democratic nomination. Personally, I hope he doesn't win the nomination, but yeah, you never know. They they, they want Biden. The establishment wants Biden. So they're definitely pushing him. The media wants Biden. So they're definitely putting this narrative as a Biden versus Trump scenario. And, you know, this is going to the prelude to the 2020 election. I just don't want him to get it, but that's regardless. So, yes, the Biden family did have connections to different groups and corporations within Ukraine. So it's not as though they're totally innocent in this. But whether or not the tr president can use his power to investigate political opponents or use foreign policy to influence domestic affairs, that has sparked huge controversy. And now we have this impeachment inquiry that Nancy Pelosi has announced. And so the House can subpoena and demand the surrender of any documents, any any reports, transcripts. I mean, this is the this is the first step towards impeachment, towards a proper impeachment trial, which won't go anywhere because Republicans are not going to impeach the president; they just won't. But at least this gesture shows that the Democrats have backbone. But I'm not buying it really, because this this is what caused it. This is this is your, you know, red line. Anyway, it's interesting now that we have the first step towards removing him. Not that it would be successful, but people are taking the steps. And it's interesting to see the response from the president because the president is losing it. He's, he is losing it. Like, hearing him talk especially towards reporters now, it scares me because he's so demanding. He's like a mob boss. And this guy's in charge of the nuclear codes. This guy's in charge of the most powerful military in the world. And so now he's on Twitter. He, it wasn't him saying it specifically, but he was quoting a pastor on Fox News and quoting that there will be a civil war like fracture if he is removed from Congress or from the presidency. And so, I mean, they're really pushing this narrative that the Democrats are the ones who are corrupt and that this is a coup and that, yeah, that, like what you're reading from the president of the United States, I'll repeat, I'll repeat the president of the United States 
the way he's talking is the same as Gaddafi or some other Banana Republic dictator. It's just, uh, like I'm 23 years old and it's just, it hurts my head thinking about it because I know what this type of mentality leads to <laughs> and we're either pretending that it's not as bad as it is or you're just overreacting. And when you assume the worst with this guy, it makes sense what he's doing. It makes absolute sense. So take that for what you want. There's a lot of anxiety in the country. Nobody's really saying it, but everybody knows that there is a civil war on the horizon, or at least the conditions for it are being set right now. Like. You can't deny that there isn't a sense of fear in the country. You can't deny it. If anything, you know, people should be paying more attention to how militias are responding to this, how they're posturing to this. They definitely take this seriously. There's a lot of militias out there who are absolutely willing to take up arms for the president if they feel that his position is being threatened if he comes out tomorrow not to say that he will but he absolutely could tomorrow put out a tweet and incite some type of action from these militias he absolutely could so yeah that's the conditions that we're being in like this is another level of scary <laughs> it's another level of Jesus Christ, like, what's happening? I'm just curious over how the U.S. military will respond. So the U.S. military has a vow, has sworn an oath to the Constitution. That's who they're beholden to, not the president. The, the Constitution says that the military follows the president's orders. However, it doesn't really lay out to which point the, the U.S. military can ignore the president i don't believe there's any you know any line that says you know with good body and soul mind and health if anything the, the impeachment inquiry is the first step towards delegitimizing him if in a perfect world we're able to actually impeach him through proper procedures then yes the military would have to follow the chain of command not to say that there aren't partisan members within the military who would see it differently. But if the Constitution is actually followed through and the Republicans aren't following the Constitution, the president is not following the Constitution. So if all the procedures are laid out properly, then yes, the military would legally be forced to follow whoever is lined up for the next chain of command. So it's interesting. It's just... It's a level of what the law says and then what people are willing to actually do. So when that's the case, you're in for a really wild, wild ride because then people just make up their own laws. Then, yeah, it's just, it's messed up. Because on, on one hand, you have the Republicans who are saying that it's the Democrats who are uh, acting out of line. But objectively, it's them who are acting out of line. 
this is just another case of Republicans projecting and deflecting cognitive, cognitive dissonance. They're not willing to admit that they're the ones that are fucking up, that they're the ones who posed a threat to democracy. They just won't admit it. It's sad. It's sad because these are the type of people who are willing to do anything to keep power. And it's the same type of person within Bashir al-Assad in Syria. It's the same type of person in Russia with Putin. You know, that mentality of it's mine, give it to me, that's, that leads to disaster in any political system. And so I'm sitting here as a young 20 year old male in this country, just anxious and afraid because I don't want to hurt anybody. But at the same time, it's more just like self-preservation. And we, we live in a society now that that's something that, you know, you have to preference i'm not a violent person but you know that yeah oh well so continuing on another issue that's been highlighted it's more economic domestically speaking but coming from the markets insider it shows that u.s in income inequality is at its highest levels ever you know higher than it was in the great depression and again, it just speaks more to the level of pressure the different classes are facing. I just saw a graph today. It's most definitely been circulated by now, showing the difference in taxes that the wealthy had paid in the 1950s and then also in the early 2000s, you know, the height of Bush era. And yeah, I mean, the the wealthy have been paying less and less and less, and it's been the middle class who has had to carry the load. Again, speaking to this trickle-down theory, which is just ridiculous inherently. It's an inherently ridiculous ideology, but it's still held on to by those with wealth, because of course they're the ones who are gonna benefit from it. So what does it matter what happens to Joe the plumber? Yeah, you'll get you'll get the scraps, but I'm I I deserve this. It's interesting. We live in a society. We live in a society. We we live in a society that values wealth, but also values greed, materialism, and consumption. We live in a society that people who are struggling to survive, with a straight face, can say that billionaires earn their wealth that they work for that. It's interesting. We live in a society that people's dream and goal is to make as much money as possible with the least amount of work. But then they don't really know what to do with that money. You know, money doesn't buy happiness, but it does buy survival. <laughs> and, you know, people are pretty happy to, to live. You know, just in general, you know, the root of this country's problems is the economic disparity and class warfare and divisions.
well, not just this country, just civilization in general, income inequality and class segregation plays a major role in how a society functions and the health of that society. And we're certainly not a healthy society right now. Also within Los Angeles, uh, as has been reported recently, there's been a crisis worsening with homelessness. I mean, there's some parts, you know, Skid Row and other parts in LA that it looks like a third world country. A lot of those people are suffering from mental illness, suffering from drug addiction. And then there's some people that are really just down on their luck. So there's just different camps and uh, I mean, of course, they live in a region in the world that's relatively warm. So, you know, these people are just camping out, but still, it's a concrete jungle. It's L.A. Like, you know, you're, you guys are stuck there. It sucks, but it's what we're witnessing right now. And so the L.A., the city government, city council, they want to declare a state of emergency. And it's interesting to see how this is unfolding and the response towards this crisis it's interesting whenever the solution to deal with homelessness is just to move just get them out of the city just move them or just get rid of them like they it's like i can't really bring up an analogy but it's just they're only reacting to the solution. They're not taking steps to prevent it. And that's the thing with this country. We take reactionary measures. We never take preventative. You know, with the gun violence in this country, it's out of control. But we only take reactionary. You only hear about methods to react to it once the first shot has been fired. But they never bring up anything to stop him or her, but it's never been a her, so it's, yeah, people don't actually want to solve a problem, they just want to add their own spin to it in the hopes that they'll come out on top. That's, it's funny, like, especially with environmentalism also, you see a lot of different groups now coming out being pro-sustainability. But really, it's just another corporate scheme. So it's just like you guys are just taking advantage of something that's clearly going to get worse. So you're not really helping it. You're, you know, aiding it. You're accelerating it by doing this. Yeah, L.A. is just notorious for being a homeless capital. I mean, there's also Hawaii. I haven't read so much about Hawaii. But with LA, it's you know it's already a densely populated area, so when you have you know massive amounts massive amounts of homelessness, it just doesn't look good for the city. It's really an aesthetic thing for the city, but they're not going to take steps to actually help these people. They just really want to clean it out, and yeah, I've never really seen They Live, that 1990s movie. But, you know, there's that scene where they're clearing out a campsite and the, the officers with their bulldozers and their masks and batons. 
I mean, that was a real thing that happened in those days. So it would be a really sad thing to see that again. I mean, LAPD, I guess, is better now than it was then, but still, LAPD, like, it's not much of an improvement. So that's considering Los Angeles and the state of homelessness there. As well, I wanted to touch up on an interesting article that I read. Considering the 1970s and just the economic development since then. Because I said before, we're living through the economic disparities of the 70s just with the technology, you know, more improved technology. But what this graph showed, and it was really just a bar graph and then changed throughout the years, showing different living situations, it showed that more young people today live with their parents than ever before. More young people today live with their parents than they do with their spouses or with roommates. So really, the way to gauge the health of any economy or just the, the mobility of a generation is how quickly are they willing, are, are they able to move out of their homes? You know, speaking as a young 20-year-old myself, I live on my own for now. Uh, but yes, I'm still very dependent on my parents. I'm still very dependent on their gratitude and their, you know, on them, on them, excuse me, on them helping me out. So... You know, my hope, of course, is to become independent eventually. But then there's also the opportunities that I'm that I have for myself. And you know, sorry to say that it doesn't look like there are going to be many opportunities for myself. Of course, I have to create them as well. I have to take steps to, you know, seize them. But there's no denying that we're facing some kind of economic downturn. I mean, this is collapse talk. That's the thesis of my show, that we're experiencing a downturn in general, just in society and life. So, you know, I don't want to be all doom and gloom. I, of course, want to stay optimistic about the future. But this graph just continually shows that it's not as though this is now happening. It's always been building up to this. It, like, we're just now seeing it because it's apparent, but there's no point ignoring it. But it didn't come out of nowhere. That's always my biggest gripe with folks who, when some tragedy unfolds, they just ask, oh, how could this have happened? This is a tragedy. When it was apparent, well, apparent to those who actually paid attention, what had happened? and why it's happening that's why it's important to educate yourself because when you you know it's not that you have to know everything about it but at least when you think critically and somebody tells you something you're more willing to just either take it in if it sounds rational enough you'll take it in but you're not going to take it as gospel just yet until you actually do more research into it because those who aren't willing to think more critically they are dependent on some type of authority or some type of figure that they trust that they see as far more intelligent when really they're either misleading them or they themselves don't know it. 
so it's not to say that you have to be this all-knowing omniscient person but at the same time you you got to be able to recognize is this bullshit or okay this sounds reasonable but i'm going to take a hold of that and wait until i get proper information and that's i think that's something that people are lacking these days so i mean i just want to say that real quick because it's speaking more and more you know the income inequality and you know people living with their parents yeah it's just a continuing trend over the economic health of this country there's just general fear over there's going to be a recession everybody's afraid of a recession because we know it's coming we just don't know when uh, we're just sitting here with our teeth gritting our teeth uh. it's yeah these days it's really just controlling how our how we react to it is damage control really because it we either we know things are getting worse or we just expect the worst at this point yeah so another development that has occurred in this country a pretty significant one and this is more to do with texas so this has been a bit of a local issue also or more so with Dallas, I live in Huntsville, so just about like three hours away. So with the Amber Geiger sentencing and the trial over there, that she had just been tri uh, tried for murdering both and Jean. She got sentenced to 10 years. And it's really, again, another case of a black man being killed, murdered by a police officer, and in the eyes of the country are on this trial now. I mean, again, this is the same shit, different trial. Of course, in this case, you know, the perpetrator, the murderer, got justice, or at least they threw the book at her, but then they might give her parole or some type of, you know. Yeah, 10 years for killing a man in his apartment doesn't seem like much to me because I know that there have been plenty who have been thrown away for less I mean just think about it though even if she had gone into her apartment and found the guy eating ice cream what why do you have to kill him okay so they say that he's not eating ice cream he's just in your apartment okay and he's not really posing any threat why do you have to kill him? Yeah, it's, you know, in Texas, there's these different laws that pretty much just allow anybody to get shot. I know I've been canvassing before, and that was a big fear in my head. And I have been yelled at before for trespassing, which is basically telling me, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to kill you. Like, yeah. <laughs> So Texas has these, it's called the castle defense, I think it's called. Uh, so if you're in your establishment and somebody enters it, you're well within your right to defend your life and your property. Which, okay, I can, I can agree with that. I'm not saying people can't defend themselves if their lives are in danger. But this wasn't that case. Okay, I'll go back to my analogy. So yes, yeah, she, go, she goes back into her apartment. There's no mistake there. But there is a man in there. 
Why do you have to kill him? Okay. Oh, okay. He's stealing your TV. Why do you have to kill him? You have a gun. Unless he starts firing back at you, unless he starts, you know, making a move, then absolutely. But you're a police officer. You're supposed to be trained in how to subdue someone. You have a gun. You just say, put on the floor, stay on the floor. Ah, okay. I, I'm stepping into a, you know, because I'm not a police officer. I've never been in a, an intense situation like that, arresting somebody. But you would think that there would be more restraint. You would think that, you know, it is no secret that the police in this country are not trained properly. They don't know how to de-escalate a situation. It's all about them cementing their control. The soldiers in combat zones have far greater restraint than a police officer patrolling the streets of this country. I mean, yes, of course, it's a dangerous job. It's a stressful job. But we need the best of the best. We can't just take anybody in this department. We need the best of the best. And of course, she's clearly not the best. So who knows really what happened? Of course, we do know that a man was murdered in his room. A black man was murdered in his room, which just speaks so hard to how African-Americans are treated in this country. Like, it's just, again, it's just... It just really makes you like, you can't help but giggle sometimes. Like, wow, like, this really isn't a joke, just how shitty black people are treated in this country. And it's really, really a miracle the restraint that black people have had historically. African Americans in this country, historically. Again, they've had, they have so many reasons to just. Break shit apart right now. So many reasons. But they don't do it. Because they know that that's what they want. That's what those in powers want. So they can say, ah, you see? They're violent and unruly. Of course you have to get rid of them. So. Yeah. So Amber Greger was sentenced to 10 years for killing both Jean in his apartment. His brother... His brother, I can't believe I completely forgot about his brother, but he did something remarkable and yeah, Brant Jean, yeah, he did something remarkable and he had hugged Amber Geiger, essentially forgiving her, you know, again, just speaking to the level of patience and just, oh, it's almost holy, like the, the level of forgiveness that this family has. Because they haven't really been out like... It's mostly been those outside of the family who have been pissed off and going out into the streets. But this family has been really just holding it together, keeping it together. They're, they're looking past the irrationality and they're, they're looking past... that they're, they're seeing her as a human being. A damaged human being for sure, but they're they're definitely acknowledging that 
she deserves some semblance of humanity, which just wow. Like I, I can't, cause I don't know if I can do that. If somebody, well, I don't have a brother, but if somebody murdered my brother in his apartment, for, I don't know. I don't even know if I want to be in the same room with them, you know, testifying. So the fact that he did this was just wow. Like. What a saint, really. What a saint. And really just setting the tone for what really needs to happen. Which is reconciliation and forgiveness for a lot of things. I mean, of course, we still need justice. So, you know, you can have reconciliation and forgiveness, but justice must be served. Like, that cannot be ignored. So that's been unfolding there. I mean, it's interesting to see this trial unfold, and it's interesting to see the national reaction to it. And another case now that's unfolding with this trial is with the murder of a key witness. So both of Jean's neighbor, Joshua Brown, was killed not too long ago, over the weekend. And he was a vital witness against Amber Geiger, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, this is like the type of story that you would read in like Mexico or, you know, cause over there, judges, jury members, they, they're always under threat. You're always reading reports of people getting massacred or assassinated for their part for their role in the trial so now that's happening here i mean they don't know officially what had happened and why it happened but there's no doubt that foul plays that there's foul play because for the report that they're saying is that he got shot in the mouth in the chest at a very close range and then they took his identification so, okay, maybe they're there to take his wallet, but, you know, a thug or some type of, it, like, it just doesn't make sense to kill somebody over a wallet. It does not make sense at all. It does make sense to kill somebody for providing, you know, for being a key witness against a police officer. So either it was somebody, some rogue actor within the police department or some sympathizer we just wanted to get back. It's just, God, it's just, there's clearly dirty play. There's, there's clearly, there are clearly dark forces at play. And it's frightening. It's, it makes her really think about, you know, justice in this country and I mean, people are afraid. I mean, people are getting murdered for providing, for being a witness. It's just unfathomable because, you know, I, I really don't know what else to say. It's just, I'm at a loss for words because nobody's, there's no justice going to be found for Joshua. Nobody's going to be, be, arrested for this 
this more than likely is just going to be swept under the rug. Yeah. Again, just another case of a black man being killed in this country and nothing being done about it. It's just in this case, it's apparent that it's a move to get back or, you know, to silence somebody. Yeah, landed the free, right? So that's what I wanted to speak domestically on. And so I wanted to dive in just on, you know, speaking on climate change and just environmentally, naturally different events unfolding. So here in Texas, a couple of weeks back, you know, the, the week of the 20th, September 20th, we had experienced some flooding or we had experienced a tropical storm and the level of flooding and rain was on the same level as Hurricane Harvey, which had hit us in 2017. I mean, Harvey right now is like the benchmark until some other storm comes. So Harvey is like seared into our minds right now. I mean, you, you can go to any bar and then ask about Harvey and then you'll just, people tell you all different stories. <clears throat> and so, yeah. What's not common knowledge is that the, the hurricane categories is purely dependent on wind speed, but not rainfall. So a tropical storm can still, a, a tropical storm can create more rain than a category five hurricane. It's just a category five hurricane is gonna, you know, wipe out, you know, the vicinity because of the wind speed. You know, it's, you know, it's gonna wipe out entire buildings. Uh, a tropical storm has the potential to flood entire cities, if it, especially if it stalls out. And that's sort of what happened here. I think that's uh, what's going to occur more frequently is as storms come through this area, they're going to stall out and they're going to, you know, just soak up the area. So the flooding from Imelda killed about five people, six people. And where I live in Huntsville is a bit more higher ground. So, you know, Houston, where which is where the majority of this uh, flooding occurred, is called Flood City for a reason. And, of course, they experience, you know, some setbacks. I don't think we have the infrastructure in place to sustain ourselves in the case of major flooding. You know, we're still repairing after Hurricane Harvey, where we're still trying to update those uh, those levees and those dams so that way the next series of floods and rain won't be as devastating as before, but we're not ready for that. I mean, there's already proposals that will create a, a seawall within Galveston to prevent you know sea level rise or at least you know slow it down. But that's going to cost billions of taxpayer dollars. And honestly, I'm not holding out hope that we can create something like that. So the flooding there, that unfolded. And yeah, yeah just speaking more to climate change, because, you know, following up to it, we had experienced prolonged days of heat and sun. So we were all just like, 
begging, please, oh, we need some rain right now. And then the rain came and they were just, okay, not like that. Like, we don't need that. So that's really what's going to happen, which is extreme weather events. So extreme rain followed by extreme sunlight and heat. And now we're gearing up for winter right now. And it's interesting. Yesterday was sunny and it was so hot. It was hot. But now we're, it's, you know, in the 70s and the 60s, such, such a change. So I'm really going to be interested and intrigued to see how the winter rolls around. It will be my first winter in Huntsville, so I'm looking forward to it. But it'll be interesting to see. So again, uh, other natural events that have occurred in India, they have had you know, it's a monsoon season there, and they've had record levels of flooding, record levels of rain. So of course, here in Texas, we actually have the means to protect people and rescue people, but in India, there's not so much. They don't have as much. Um, means and the infrastructure so the the flooding and the monsoons over there have killed over 1600 devastating entire areas millions have been displaced climate refugees and that has also affected the output from crops it's also been a shortages uh, they've also experienced shortages in their onion production so the output has been depleted so it could be expected that onion prices could rise. So it's interesting to see how food is being affected by the food supply and food prices are being affected by these weather events. Because of course, you know, it's agriculture. So extreme weather events are going to affect <clears throat> agriculture and the output from different areas. And that does have the potential to change the prices and the availability of these goods. So India is one of those areas that is, that is vulnerable to this. Uh, yeah. So other words, other news. In the Indonesia, I had spoken about some fires that have occurred linked with palm oil plantations and yeah it was interesting to see that uh there was a case that there has there was so much smoke and so much uh it, it had created what looked like a red sky like a blood red sky that it was bleeding and it, it was really apocalyptic seeing it you're, you're, you're seeing these images and you're thinking, this can't be real. But it is. And it was, um, yeah, just blood red skies in the middle of the night because of these fires and deforestation, of course, you know, it's affecting the area there, you know, same as in with Haiti earlier. Uh, just affecting crop outputs, drought, intensifying droughts and fires. And so it's going to affect their food supply and their crops, which is going to raise prices. 
So again, it's just another cycle of human activity coming full circle to bite us in the ass. So another issue that was kind of touched up on in the Pacific, you know, with our warming oceans, there has been a change in just the system and the change in, you know, the activity. It's, you know, it's like a convention current, convection current. So warm water moves to one location, warm, cold water moves to the other, and it's a whole system. But, you know, as the waters continue to warm up, it's going to change the flow of those currents and the flow of those systems and, and effect, affecting weather patterns and such. So, off, you know, in the Pacific, there are reports of what, what they're calling it is the blob, which is an oversimplification, really. But this blob is just a area of highly uh, unusually warm waters. The Pacific Ocean is notoriously cold. You know, it's notoriously supposed to be, you know, fed with Arctic water, but it's getting warmer now. And that's affecting the wildlife. That's going to affect weather patterns, El Nino and those uh, weather events. It's interesting. You know, it's reaching a reading a report or watching a report uh, with these marine biologists who whose job is to help these animals to re rehabilitate them and put it back into the wild. And they're just saying like, you know, we're putting them back in an environment that's most likely going to kill them. Like we can see these animals are in distress. We can see it. So it's, you know, to those who are actually paying attention, whose job it is to, is to bring it to light, they're, they're really, you know, speaking out about how serious this issue is and how it's unfolding. So, yeah, I mean, warming waters is only going to increase acidification. Uh, it's going to kill off phytoplankton, going to kill off coral reefs, going to kill off the kelp forest. That, that's, I mean, that's just happening. That's, that's just, you know, to ignore is to, you know, deny reality. Again, you know, just heat in general. Um, this, you know, opening week of October, supposed to be, you know, fall at least, you know, start to, I mean, now it's starting to cool down, but it's still pretty warm. It's still pretty warm in some parts of the country. At least here it was. I know I was sweating my ass off and just, yeah, the heat's something else. You know, just across the southern U.S., record-breaking heat. Again, you know, it's nothing new. Every month is going to be the next. Every every following year, it's going to have. It's going to be the hottest year. You're going to keep reading that, and people are just complaining about the heat. Uh, I know. The store that I work at, they had an event that they were going to do outside, and I just volunteered to stay in the store. I I have no need to be out in the sun. There was a game uh, between some, you know, my school, Sam Houston played uh, Stephen F. Austin. They went to Houston, some friends of mine. I had no interest in dealing with that. 
I don't want to be out in the heat against with drunk people and I'm thinking about the world is ending. No, no thanks. <laughs> but yeah, just heat everywhere. I mean, like, I don't know how we're going to survive this. I really don't. I mean, it's clearly clear that we're not going to survive it. There was already talk about a four degree temperature increase. And that's just un that's uninhabitable. You can't survive that. Uh, some other slight developments. I was reading in Miami, they've been experiencing flooding, experiencing flooding. They, they haven't had rain though. It's mainly just the tide waters rising and being, you know, that area being a low lying area. I mean, the waters are literally just seeping through the manhole covers and onto the streets. It's just, you know, it's just the king tide, you know, it's Biscayne Bay, I believe, which is uh, historically, you know, a more privileged area, more affluent. But yeah, they're getting, you know, flooded out there. And it's because of the sea level rise. You know, Miami is one of those areas that is going to be one of the first hit concerning sea level rise. And I mean, it's, they're not going to either, they're going to find a way to deal with the sea level rise or the city just won't be there by the end of the century. You know, thinking back to Hurricane Dorian, if Hurricane Dorian made a head on collision with Miami, we would be talking about a Mad Max apocalypse in the city, right? Now. It would still be pretty bad. And I mean, and it, like a storm could hit eventually. Eventually, there's going to be a storm that's going to hit Florida, the big one. And we're just going to have to deal with the aftermath of that. And yeah, I mean, I, Miami is a bit more personal for me. Myself, I have family there, connections there, so... When I speak about this, it's a little more personal. It's yeah, it's a little closer to home. I mean, I have no need really to stay there apart from family. It's it's not on my wish list to move there. But yeah, another development uh, occurring around the world is a string of a swine epidemic in Asia. And so in China, there's reports that the vast majority of the pig, uh, whatever you want to call it, stock, livestock, it's being affected by this flu or fever, and it's killing these pigs, and it's threatening uh, the pig, the pork supply. And... It's a very real possibility that it could kill off maybe half or, you know, over half of the world's pig population if it spreads. And it is spreading, spreading west towards Europe. That's what they're saying so far. Uh, there's no reports of whether this virus or pathogen can be spread to human. Of course, we do know that pigs and humans are genetically similar, so it wouldn't be that far stretch for some type of pathogen to evolve for the human genome. But yeah, I mean, this is just another case of some type of 
superbug taking hold, which really I think is gonna, if there is some sort of superbug, that's what's gonna wipe us out first. Not nuclear war, not climate change, a superbug. Especially when it's drug resistant, antibiotic resistant, and yeah, the members of the scientific community have certainly spoke out about the development uh, and the evolution of drug-resistant bacteria and viruses. So that's definitely something to keep up updated on. I certainly want to keep a close eye on it because this, you know, idea of a plague spreading, it's not out of the question. It's not, it's not science fiction. It can certainly happen. So. It's just a question of how we're going to respond to it. Another um, infection or contamination that's occurred is with bananas. Uh, fusir oh, let me see this. Fusarium wilt tropical race. So it's a fungus, a fungal infection that's affecting different plantations in Colombia and in Central America. And if it is, you know, develops, uh, excuse me, if it continues unchecked, it could threaten the global supply of bananas. Again, raising prices. Uh, it could, you know, this particular strain of banana is the most uh, efficient to harvest. So any other alternatives, they would also experience a raise in prices. And, you know, it, it could easily wipe out the stock supply within 10 years. I mean, again, you know, this is just another case of a pathogen infection that is developed unchecked and could potentially wipe out a particular produce or stock or you no know, food that we need. Other news, there have been, you know, with Australia, I spoke about them earlier in an earlier episode, just with fires and record-breaking droughts. They're not even in their summer yet. Like, their summer is their winter. So, you know, it's, uh, I just, you know, I, I complain about the heat here, but Australia is another story. Like, it's, yeah. So the droughts and the heat there has affected their wheat output their crop yields. So Australia is going to be one of those first world countries that may experience some kind of collapse situation in the near future. You know, if this environmental disaster continues to unfold, you know, they have rivers that are dying off. And of course you have waste from coal, so they're poisoning the coral reefs and yeah, I mean the the Australian government is really just like the American of the, the American government of the West or sorry the Pacific. You know, they're either completely ignoring this climate change, or they're starting to acknowledge it, but they're not going to take the steps to prevent it because that's going to you know affect their profits. You know, it's the same shit, same shit. It's everywhere. It's not just an American problem. This is a human problem, you know, defeating the patriarchy and capitalism. 
it's a human problem. So, you know, defeating something that's part of our nature, I don't know how that's going to occur. And that's really about all the different news stories that I wanted to touch up on. But quickly before I wrap up this episode, and this is a you know longer than expected episode, which I'm totally okay with. Got some content finally. I wanted to highlight on the different climate strikes that have occurred within the last two weeks from September 20th and 27th. Now I was speaking about how people around the world are protesting right now and speaking up. And so, you know, with Greta Thunberg, she has mobilized a movement of young people standing up for themselves and speaking out against the government. So this is really the first steps towards hopefully some kind of revolution. Um, you know, this is really more just like people having fun in the streets, but we do need action and we do need some steps taken to, you know, make some change. But Greta, she had come out and she had inspired all of us, inspired me. I, I had organized some little rally in the college campus, you know, didn't want to make too much of a scene, but still, you know, go, get out there and, you know, talk to some people. On the 20th, when we first started, and that's we had the most turnout, and we had barely been out there for an hour, and then suddenly we had, we got rained out. But we certainly made an impression still, uh, certainly talked with some folks, and, you know, we tried our best to stay out, but we just, you know, it was torrential. Which, you know, it was, you know, ironic. Such a thing would occur at a climate rally, and we get struck by, you know, flash flooding and, torrential rain uh so that had occurred on the 20th and the 27th that was the second round you know people still had showed up and we had fun we, we we were out there speaking and you know with our signs i'm not the type of organizer who likes to sing or i don't know i don't know any songs yet so i'll have to work on that but you know still it was more just about making a point and so people could see us at least and get them to think and so what i had done is while they were you know out you know with their signs i had gone around and spoken with several students to hear their perspective and it was certainly interesting to hear what they had to say the major drawback i could get is that folks are aware of what's occurring both you know climate wise and naturally it has more to do with just the lack of education and also with just how the media is representing this issue because they're not doing a good job which is you know it's pretty obvious from what we're seeing so most people they're not really aware of the science not really aware of just how severe this issue is you know it's certainly an uncomfortable issue for them to speak about because, you know, it's one thing for me to talk about, you know, the collapse of our society, the extinction of our species and all life, but to bring this issue to somebody who's just trying to get by, who hasn't really been concerned about this 
So start asking them this question of, hey, uh, do you think everything that we know and love is going to perish and die? That's a hard question for people to, you know, open up about. It's a hard question for me to ask, too. I mean, I don't like, I don't want to make people afraid, but, you know, I want to hear what they have to say. So to wrap up this episode, I'm going to just leave with different interviews that I had and, you know, just their perspective from different students. Again, you know, hopefully I want to do this more often, you know, maybe every couple of weeks or so I'll just talk to students about this issue. But it's important that I speak and chronicle what young people are thinking right now, because the world that is being set is our future. And, you know, we may not be equipped to handle it. We may not be equipped to survive it. So it's really interesting to see what people are saying now and then what the reality is going to be. So with that being said, I'll leave this interv these interviews here uh, and I'll continue to go ahead and I'll just wrap up this episode. Again, uh, I have my email, collapsetalkpod at outlook.com for those who would like to leave a message or some feedback. I also have Twitter at Collapse Talk Pod. So go give a follow there. So this is your host, Gabriel Marrero. Uh, again, I'll just wrap up with these interviews. But until next time, you know, for those who are listening and are continuing to listening, thank you so much. Um, until next time, whenever that is, I'll see you then. Thank you. Okay. So can you say your name again? Uh, Sarah. Okay. So yes, I'm just here interviewing college students in Sam Houston, and uh, I just want to talk with you for a quick moment about climate change and your thoughts on it. Uh, just quick, what do you what do you think about it? Um, I don't know a lot about what's going on with the climate, but I know it's like it's really important, and there's been a really big push for climate change. So. So, yeah. it's more just an education thing, you'd say. Um. Yeah, I would like love to learn more about it so I could like, you know, okay. make a difference or something. I don't know. And so one of the main uh, basic points about climate change is that it's uh, being fueled by or accelerated by uh, human activity and carbon emissions. Um, so in considering the fossil fuel industry, what, what are your thoughts on them? You know, uh, have they been, you know, unregulated or yeah? I don't really know a lot about that. I haven't done any research. Or okay, anything. that's totally fine. Um, again, you know, it's just purely, you know, the, the, the whole idea behind the climate change, because the, the climate has changed from time to time, of course, but this is yeah. different words, human activity. So it's not really just fossil fuels, it's also agribusiness, uh, cattle and such. Um, would you, have you been, um, or are you say, are you, are you someone who eats a lot of red meat or um, like ribs or burgers? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, that's totally fine if you were consuming those. It's just, you know, again, uh, the whole uh, emissions and the concentrations in our atmosphere has been released because of, you know, economic activity that we have. Yeah. Um, so, again, with my show, uh, it's just purely exploring the ideas of climate change and other factors involved with it. Um, so considering with the environment, uh, 
what do you feel about the environment right now? Do you think it's okay, it's stable, or what do you think it, it, the state is right now? Um, we could definitely be doing better. I feel, I mean, the climate's like, climate change has obviously been on a decline. And um, I don't know, there's definitely a lot that we could change to uh, fix that and, you know, kind of not necessarily get back to like where we need to be, but like get closer to that. Um, I don't really know. I mean, okay. no, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, are you from this area around here, Huntsville, or where are you from I'm, locally? I'm from Georgetown. George. It's over by Austin. Is it, say it again, Georgetown? Georgetown, okay. yes. Yeah, so uh, have you been going back recently? Have you noticed any like differences in the area? Like just speaking like naturally, you know? Um, naturally? I don't know if this counts, but like a lot of the trees have been cut down for like to make room for construction stuff. So it's like not necessarily naturally, but man-made changes. So um, it's just expansion, you would say, yeah. yeah. Lots of expansion. Uh, yeah, we used to have like just uh, just lines of trees down the main road, and like half, like over half of them have been cut down. So yeah. yeah. So it's you, you, it's a pretty rural area, or is pretty suburban? Um, it's pretty suburban. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, so talking more on climate change, um, another big question that I have is, do you think we can adapt to it? Um, I think so, but I think we should definitely focus on doing what we can to help the environment instead of just adapting. Um, I definitely need to like research this and like look into it more. Yeah, there's definitely more articles you can look up. Uh, yeah. It's definitely a topic of conversation that needs to be had. Um, yeah. But you seem, you know, definitely, you know, interested in this topic. So I, I highly encourage you to look it up. Yeah. yeah. So but thank you so much for your time. So yes. Uh, so what are your names? Lauren Brazier. Caitlin QT. Okay. So yeah, so I'm just here speaking with, you know, folks around here, students, um, young people, and I just want to get your quick insight real quick on climate change, the topic of climate change and what you thought about it. Um, do you have any material or do you research it regularly or you just hear about it and topic, you know, passing? I don't even, I don't pay attention. I don't pay attention either. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't, I don't read about it and I don't look into it and I never hear, I never really hear anything about okay. climate yeah. change. Okay. So is it, Merely just you haven't researched into it, or is it just uh, do you, like would you say you're a skeptic or, or what? Um, I just don't look at the news, I don't yeah. really research unless it's for class, so yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, no, that's totally fine. Yeah, it's all education, really. Um, so again, we're just doing this climate strike. Um, have y'all been hearing about uh, Greta Thunberg? Um, she spoke at the UN and she's also been organizing strikes all around the world, really. Like, millions of other have joined this uh, movement. I haven't heard of that. No, like, nothing on Twitter or any social media posts? I don't have Twitter. Okay. No, I haven't seen it on Twitter. Okay. No, that's totally fine. Um, yeah, again, so the whole basis of climate change, right? Now, the, the Earth has gone through natural phases and changes. That's, that's, of course, true. This point, however, is that there's humans now, and human activity has accelerated with carbon emissions. Um, you know, you, you, we all drive cars, so that releases a lot. And also with uh, the agro business and other industries. So have you at least um, you know, looked into that or do you have any knowledge on 
our economic activity and how that's affected us? I mean, not, not much. I know, like, some people, like, your cars can take certain gas that's better for the environment. But other than that, I don't, I don't really pay attention or look into it. That's fine. Um, and um, speaking also environmentally, that's another major concern of ours. Would you say that the environment has been stable or would you say that we've been making it worse? Where do you, how do you feel about the environment and its uh, state? I feel like it probably has been getting worse, but I feel like it's happening very slowly, so we can't tell a lot yeah. until it's, like, really bad. Then we'll yeah. notice, but I don't okay. know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's just a matter of time, really, yes. to making sure what happens. Um, uh, so where do you, where are you guys, are you from Huntsville, naturally, or, like, where's your hometown? Nacogdoches. Nacogdoches. Oh, you're both Nacogdoches, good. Yes. So, are y'all, like, high school friends, or, like, yeah? yeah. Oh, okay, that's good, nice. Um, so... Going back to Nacogdoches, I'm sure it's a pretty like rural area, a lot of trees up there. Have, would you say that's has it changed, or like, what do you feel about like your local area? It's growing. It's getting the Highway 59. Yeah, so. getting a lot more businesses. Okay. But I mean, other than that, I feel like the environment-wise, I feel like we're pretty. I mean, I don't think it's that bad. It, not you look one side, there's healthy trees. You look to the other side, healthy trees. Yeah, yeah. So just a lot of trees. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. trees. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So, um, another question we have about climate change. Um, just from your perspective and what you mm -hmm. think about it, do you think we can adapt to it if it gets out of hand? Um, I don't know. I feel like if it happens slowly, then our bodies might like change slowly as it changes. But I feel like if it gets bad like all of a sudden then it might take some people might some people might not i don't know yeah okay so i mean like physically adapting um i was also speaking like just civilization wise like mm. would we be able to sustain ourselves considering a rapidly evolving climate yeah you're not too sure that's that's totally fine yeah, yeah. i guess it just depends yeah, I think that's um, about all the questions we have. But yeah, thank you so much. Oh, uh, you're yeah. So was it Siapa, yes? Yes, Siapa. Okay, so yes, uh, we're here um, in you know, Sam Houston, you know, speaking with students about climate change and just your perspective of what you knew about it. Um, so could you give your thoughts on the, your current state? Okay, I know it's happening. That's about it. Okay, because it's getting hotter, way too hot. The, from what I've heard, like the ice caps or whatever, they're like melting more and more, and it's ruining the habitats for animals, and that's about it. So, so you know what's happening, it's just you're not too knowledgeable to, uh, haven't done much research, or would you want to do more research? Probably yes, if I could like somehow make a difference, then yeah. Okay. So yes, um, so speaking on climate change, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of people who say that climate goes through changes all the time, and that is true. Um, it's just with this is human activity, right? With our carbon emissions, um, transportation, the agribusiness, livestock. Um, so would you say that with our economic activity, you know, how, how exactly um, has that really affected our environment? Okay. Um, I don't know how to explain this, but I just know like it's mainly, you know, our fault and we're not doing much to change it. Like, we're doing a little bit, but not much, and it's just going to keep getting worse. So, um, speaking again about climate change, right, um, where are you from uh, locally, or are you from Huntsville? Trinity. 
sorry? Trinity. Okay. So Trinity, would you say that's a suburban area or is that like a more rural? Um, it's like a rural town. Okay. Small town. And um, environmentally, like naturally, how, how do you, like has it changed much since you like were a kid or how, how have you seen it progress? Um, it's just gotten hotter. But during the winter, there's been more snow now and that's just, it's weird. Different, it's you know, random. yeah, it's just completely random. It's random. Yeah. Um, right. So, climate change, right? That's happening around the world. Um, you say you're talking about the ice caps that were melting right in Greenland. There was just like record melt. You know, they talk about sea level rise. Um, have you been keeping up with Hurricane Dorian that just hit the Bahamas? I haven't. Okay. So, right, that was um, the Category Five storm, and it was m- mainly uh, fueled by the heating oceans. Um, just completely devastated the area um so it's you know i right now i guess they're doing fine but it's still a crisis um right so speaking on like harvey or like any like uh flooding have you experienced some, something like that in your area not in trinity no, no. we don't get any flooding no. mm-hmm. yeah so right so with climate change do you think we can adapt to it we can well for us we can but Animal-wise, not really. They'll like run out of habitats, and they'll have to like move to other places, and there won't be many places. Right. So, that's really just your thoughts on this. Um, Do you have anything else that you wanted to speak on? No, that's all. No. Okay. So, uh, what are your names? Kristen. Praise God. So yes, uh, my name is Gabriel, and uh, we're just talking with different students um, on the campus. So we're doing a little climate strike, and I just wanted to hear what y'all thought about climate change, if you're at least educated or have done some research into it? Um, I know that it's changing, it's warming faster around the earth. <laughs> um, I feel like climate change is all due to the human activities that we humans do, like for example, the greenhouse effect. We are the humans that created that, and that's affecting the atmosphere. Big companies, are easily putting stuff in the ocean, killing the ecosystem. So I would say it's our responsibility to keep Earth alive and we're not doing what we are supposed to do. So yeah, you're definitely dead on the nail there. Um, It's mainly based on human activity. I mean, they say that climate has gone through changes before and that's true. It's just this time this is human activity, so it's unprecedented and it's uh, gone to a point where we don't really know where it's going to head. Right, so with human activity, you know, you say you've done some research into it. Uh, have there been methods? I know there's been like ideas about like going back to alternative resources. I know our Ubuntu program, we're definitely uh, pushing for self sustainability. Have you looked into ways to reducing uh, individual carbon footprints? Not really, but like I said, like water bottles. We can stop using water bottles and just get like a bottle and we're just refilling the water by using that so we can save plastic and then um, paper bags too. They're all over the ocean and we can reduce that by getting our own bag so we can reuse those stuff. Um, also, like farming, we can start farming which can um, produce um, trees, plants and also help the ecosystem a lot because right now we are cutting trees down each minute and that and we are losing oxygen each and and anytime each trees are being cut down so if we can do something to like grow some trees just grow something it can actually help a lot and um how did you feel about um our activity and you know do you know 
ways or do you feel in your activity you're at least contributing to this climate change? <laughs> okay. Well, my basic question, like, um, like, do you eat red meat or do you eat like, um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like turkey? Okay. Yeah, I mean, red meat, you know, beef, uh, cattle, pork, they definitely uh, contribute to climate change and the release of methane. Um, do you like carpool or do you, do you walk or anything like that? Um, I walk and then I also drive my own car. Same. It depends. Like I live right by here, so I don't drive here. I just walk, make it much much convenient and save me gas. I only take the car out if I want to go like Walmart or Target yeah, or, or the highway, or maybe go back home to Houston. That's really what I use the car for. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So, how uh, are you from Huntsville originally, or where are you guys naturally from? I'm naturally from Africa, Nigeria, but I've been in the United States for. 10 years, I lived in New York for three years. Okay. I'm originally from Beaumont, and in the last four or five years, I've been in Houston, but I go to school out here. Okay. So, so um, when was the last time you've been to Nigeria? 10 years ago. Okay. So, all right. I mean, I'm you, planning on going back next year. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, have you looked in, I know that they have in the Niger Delta, um, we've been talking about like um, uh, drilling, oil drilling, and like the, the conditions over there. Like in Nigeria, we have a lot of resources. We have massive land. We have a abundance of trees and stuff. The place I live in, we have like a whole forest full of those stuff, but our government, they don't know how to tap into those resources to reach out to other countries to make it much bigger. Like we are going through like for us we are in a recession stage just like how america went into a recession we are in that stage right now because we are still growing as a country and if the government can just take of what we have of the oil the gold the mining we can make into something big but we should not overdo it to the point that it's not stable it's not stable for us to live in yeah yeah no like uh you know, you're saying Nigeria's going through a recession. I mean, some saying we're going through the beginnings of recession right now. So it's really just depending on where it goes. Um, right. So again, speaking on climate change, just quick opinions from both. Do you think we can adapt to it in any way? Yeah, I think we'll be able to adapt to it. We con The world constantly goes through changes. It'll just be something that the ones that are already here get used to, but the ones that will grow and come into the, to the world... It just, it'll already be that way for them so I don't think we can adapt we need to change what we do because I did do a paper about this a research about um, deforestation and the depletion of natural resources and in my research it says that by 2050 we will not have enough resources to attain all, all humans and I feel like we need to start changing the way we do things, the, the way we do our activities to better the earth. Cause like I said, like one of the Atlantic or whatever, the ice is melting and stuff like that. That That's place supposed to be frozen, like permanently frozen, not melting. And that's that's telling us that we need to change what, whatever we're doing to make earth a better place for us to live in yeah. and for the next generation to come in. Yeah. yeah, there are a lot of reports talking about 2050, so save that date but um yeah thank you so much for your time then uh that was really all the questions that i had right so yes um what was your name jesse bar 
So yeah, so we're just here talking with different students and you know individuals here. Um, and I just want to hear real quick uh, what you thought about climate change or if you had any opinions on it. Um, I mean, I believe in climate change. Okay. Uh, I don't think that it's really debatable that the climate is changing. Uh, I think what's usually debated is uh, if it's changing as fast as people say it is or if it's actually our problem that we caused yeah. to the climate. Uh, Yeah, no, it's all cool. Yeah. So, um, right. The idea is that, you know, people are saying that the climate changes all the time. It's gone through phases, and that's true. Um, however, you know, human activity has gotten to a point with industrialization that we've released, uh, you know, so much carbon into the atmosphere, and that retains heat from the sun. So it was just, they are talking about feedback loops. And so that's, that's the point that we're getting to right now. Um, so... Um, speaking on just, you know, our activity in general, would you say that we've had, like, you know, such a, such a significant impact that it's irreversible or there are ways that we can adapt our behavior to make the environment more healthy? Um, I don't know what would be the point of no return as far as that goes. Right now, uh, I'm working on mycology stuff, and uh, mushroom mycelium is the biggest carbon uh, bank of well, it's the biggest carbon bank on the planet as far as that goes in holding uh, CO2 out of the atmosphere. Okay. I think as far as the U.S. goes, we're going more towards trying to mitigate how what kind of effect we have, yeah. but we still have issues like China that are still using all kinds of aerosol and yeah. that type of thing. So I don't know if we've passed the point of no return or if we're getting close to that or what that even really means as yeah. far as that goes. Yeah. Really, nobody really knows. Yeah, you know, it's such a big question. Um, so, speaking on activity, right? Um, are you from Huntsville naturally, or where is your uh, hometown? I grew up in Conroe and lived out here for about three years. Okay, so in Conroe, would you say um, when you ever visit back, is it like a rural area, a little suburban? How is it looking? Um, I mean, it's getting more built up for sure. Okay, so more expansion, right? Yeah. So, would you say that the expansion has it affected the environment in a way? Has it been, has it been deforestation or? Yeah, there's yeah. deforestation and more cement and more people, you know, more vehicles. So, yeah. uh, just urbanization, really. Yeah, okay. Right, so we have climate change. Um, there's a lot of reports. Um, so you were saying that we don't really know where the point of return is. So all the reports saying that 2050 is the year. So, you know, we'll just have to wait and see on that. Um, but um, do you think that we're able to um, adapt to it or to whatever, you know, in- environment or state that it becomes? Um, I mean, I think that one of the big issues is trying to actually convince people of our effects and what's going on more. I think probably the older generations are the ones that aren't really buying into it as much as the younger generations. Uh, I think probably education on what's going on and how it's, how we can affect it and how we can help it is more, uh, of what we need to try to look towards doing as far as if we want to try to help. I'm sure that we probably can, just because of the such a large impact we've already made in such a short amount of time. If we actually collaborative, collaboratively we're like, hey, we need to actually do something about it, we could probably help. Yeah, it requires resources and dedication. It's just, at the same time, the shift that, that it requires threatens, or they see as a threat to you know, the wealthy, or because 
they control those resources, you know, yeah. renewable resources. You can't control the sun, you can't control the wind. Um, so, yeah, that's really all I had to say. Um, but you were talking earlier, earlier about like mycelium or you're um, doing, you said research. Uh, do you want to elaborate more on that? Uh, so I want to be a mycologist, which is a study of fungus. And uh, mycelium is basically mushrooms before they fruit. Whenever you see a mushroom, it's just the actual flowering part of the organism. But underneath the ground is uh, the mycelium. And it's without a doubt the biggest carbon deposit that is on the planet. So whenever they go through and do deforesting in places, you're destroying all the trees. But whenever they burn it out like they do, uh, usually that destroys a whole lot of the CO2. So when the trees do grow and they start to pull carbon dioxide out of the air, where they would usually store it in the mycelium underground isn't uh, as healthy as it could be. And so they don't get to pull as much as they could. And it's just a compounding effect basically as they uh, cut down trees and burn the area, it just makes it worse. Okay, yeah. All right, so that's, um, that was a lot. But yeah, that's definitely a very interesting um, study into like the relationship because it's really all just you know symbiotic in a way yeah um but yeah but thank you so much for your time oh, good. yeah so i really appreciate your insight yeah all right thank you step up yes am i talking into it um reagan king my name is jeffrey martinez okay so yeah so i'm just here talking right with students and just on their insight and what their thoughts were on climate change uh so of course, we're here with the climate strike, so of course, we're slightly biased. Yeah, we're pretty biased, but again, you know, we just want to have a quick discussion about it, really. Um, so, we're speaking on our activity, right? Uh, human activity, transportation, fossil fuel industry has had a change, right? So, uh, we definitely have methods of improving it, right? Like, you know, definitely changing it. Are you asking, like, what are my thoughts on it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I think that government subsidies plays a big part in it. Like, a very small percentage of our money goes towards not even building uh, renewable energy, but also, like, researching it. Uh, so I think if we start cutting more fossil fuel subsidies and moving them towards renewable energy, that'll kind of spark uh, a snowball effect. And that'll be really beneficial because I believe that individual change is important, but uh, a global and a national infrastructure in place and even like a societal and cultural emphasis on being more renewable would make a big impact like if 20 percent of the population is doing it it's still not enough it needs to we need to have more pluralism for it yeah so how would you feel about like the state you know instituting in some like some form of infrastructure with renewable energy or at least reducing our carbon footprint um yeah they should have an infrastructure for like like energy, like actual energy from the sun and actually like making it into something productive and also like system change. Like like if the government doesn't listen, that, that would mean a rebellion. Like yeah. it would mean like for the climate strike to have a rebellion against them and yeah. complete system change. So politically, how do you feel? Oh, wait, I just want to ask real quick because we do have a 2020 election coming up. So who do you feel would have the best policy uh, to tackle not only the fossil fuel industry, but also repairing our environment? I'm not sure yet. I'm still kind of researching the candidates because a, a couple of them, their platforms aren't really clear on stuff like that. Um, but my top two right now, I think, are Sanders and Beto. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. Born. Okay. And 
I don't know who else, but probably Bernie Sanders. Okay. Is um just speaking real quickly on the, the the election is climate change your number one issue or what's your number one issue for the election? Climate change is my number one issue because I feel like a lot of our other issues they're not I'm not saying they're not pressing but they're not as immediately pressing like we are in a state of crisis and if it isn't addressed another four years it's just going to be catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, climate change like that has to be the number one for me and economic inequality like yeah that that has to that has to be also worrying but it, the climate change is much yeah. more important yeah so on twitter right i had um somebody had shared with me a link that did a study on just speaking like cyclically on human history it's gone through history uh, phases of rise and fall and rise so it's been a cycle and so they highlight that the two main axes right are economic stratification and econo ecological strife so the, the the strain that the civilization has in the ecology and then the just the division in class and economic ability. So uh, speaking on our current economic ability or economic status or you know whatever health we want to call it, um, how do you feel that the middle class, you know, which is where we're situated at, has it been better off since the 2008 uh, crash, or where do you feel it is now? I know which part of history you're talking about. Like it, it's a cyclical, and I think part of that too is as before every big fall there's more uh, stratification economically and class-wise and I think the middle class is divided like there's a there's lower middle class there's regular middle class and there's upper middle class so I think if you look at those three categories there will be differences like if you're not upper middle class I think you have been negatively impacted since 2008 but if you're upper middle class then you might have had some rebound after that uh, and I, I agree with him that it is it's a class issue because lower income people and lower income nations especially are going to be more impacted by it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, what was the question? So, right, so I was just speaking, you were talking about the economic the class issues are definitely involved with climate change. And so I was speaking how history cyclically, um, there have been changes in you know, the rise and falls of empires or civilizations, and has mainly due to the ecological strife and also just divisions in class and you know how the people are surviving uh, so would you feel that right now because we are last major recession or economic downturn 2008 the housing bubble crash occurred and today some people that haven't been better off there are you know people are still struggling and there's talk now that there's gonna be another recession maybe. so how do you feel about our current situation um, I feel like as you change like the the upper class should be taxed more, from what I've heard, and I don't know, just mainly improve on like equality, not not hate so much yeah, on exactly. everybody else. Yeah. Need love, um, right? So Bernie Sanders, he was recently talking how we need no no more billionaires, get rid of the rich. How do you feel about taxing the rich, or like to what level do you think we have to take them on? We discussed this in our class the other day, talking about. The divide of wealth just in America and the difference between our idealized, our what we think is the economic divide and what is the actual economic divide is exponential. Like the top 1% own I think 40% of the nation's wealth and so I personally don't believe there's any justification for the monopolization of so much capital. So 
I know it's a very like hot button topic right now, but I do believe that there should be more systems in place to prevent such monopolies. Like you don't need 40% of the nation's wealth in five people. Yeah. So I think increased taxes, like there's gonna be a lot of pushback, but if you increase those taxes, it's gonna do so much more good instead of just pushing it all into the middle class. Yeah. Uh, the same thing, yeah. like increasing the taxes to the rich. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely a monopolization of wealth, uh, just resources, and also with that wealth comes power. So it's really, again, a system change. Um, I mean, there are those, you know, like in Congress, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like uh, progressives who are becoming principled, but we still have others there on both sides, you know, Democrat and Republican, that are still just bought into this dirty trick. But uh, yeah. Um, did you have any other thoughts or anything else you wanted to add on with um, considering just climate change or... Or actually, um, speaking um, locally, are you guys from Huntsville naturally or what's your hometown? I'm from Trinity, which is like 30, 40 minutes away from here. So, Huntsville-ish. Uh, Cyprus, uh, one hour from here. Okay. And those areas there, um, pretty rural or would you say suburban? Like how rural. Is it? Very rural. rural. Uh, mine is suburban. Okay. So, just speaking on, you know, from your childhood to now, have you seen any changes, um, just naturally speaking? Like, has it been healthy or... Well, how do you feel about it? What do you, like, infrastructure? So what I'm saying is, like, when you look at, you know, the grass or you look at just the, the wildlife in general, when you observe the environment, you know, just take in your natural environment state, do you think that things have been better or is it just different? Like, or do you have really no way to say? I think we have kind of oscillated with various things. Like, when I was probably mid-teens there was a really big outbreak of uh, beetle infestations in our forests and so they cut down a lot of trees to try to stop that and then we've had like periodic feral hogs come through uh, a couple of bird migrations that either did really well or really bad and I'm not sure if the oscillations are just random or uh, exasperated by climate issues but I will say that uh, tropical storms and uh, hurricanes have been a lot more prevalent in the past, I'd say, like, 10 years. I can remember maybe two or three when we were kids that were, like, bad, bad. And in my college career, we've had at least three, uh, like, storms big enough to, like, displace. Flood Houston. How many times has Houston been flooded in the past couple of years? Yeah. It's not even a hurricane. Like, that's a tropical storm. Just, it was the same amount of rain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we, we haven't seen a lot of uh, development in my area with infrastructure speaking, but I have noticed a lot of a migration of people from bigger cities trying to secure rural land because of all the issues you have in cities. Yeah. So we have neighbors now. We didn't when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I just feel like I've gotten worse. Like, I don't know, when I, whenever I come back, it's to Cyprus. Like, this never happened, but like, when we were like coming back, like, kind of smelled bad. I don't know why, and and, and, and it's the cost of, the, of pollution because they're always constructing each time and I feel like they should like balance like the construction and not do it like excessively and well and they're just adding more and more neighborhoods and I just feel like it's kind of causing more and more pollution and I feel like there has to be some type of change with that yeah okay. yeah so I mean uh, that, that was an interesting point you made about like uh, people from the urban areas buying land now um that's definitely something i thought about but i don't know like uh how much that would cost you know, doing that but yeah so 
yeah, climate change. Um, people aren't really sure. Like they say, they know it's happening, but they don't know if we've reached the point of no return or maybe they people saying we have. So, uh, with you, you guys specifically, do you feel that we can adapt to it? You know, either physically or our civilization-wise, you think we could, you know, do something that can at least mitigate it? Optimistically, I think we would start making changes now. Like as there's so much pushback, especially currently, for new laws and new infrastructure to kind of make this a cultural change but realistically just because of the way human nature is and the way our current systems are set up and are monopolized and everything is full of uh, everything is slotted towards capitalism I think it's gonna take a global catastrophic event and I, you know what? I take that back a global catastrophic to human society event to to implement real change on uh, a meaningful time scale i think because of all these protests they're going to change a few laws and try to try to kind of push it back like oh we did change these things i think if we don't have drastic radical changes right now it's going to take something drastic uh naturally to happen to force us into changes uh the same thing but like but like people need to rebel because like like in order in order to like make radical change and like change it now like people have to either rebel or like constantly call the governors and say hey we need we need this plan for climate change and and also uh, yeah mainly rebel mainly rebel to actually address this thing because if we reach a point of no return then there's no going back yeah. So just one last thought, right? So you're talking about how something drastic is going to have to happen for us to make some real change. So there's an interesting point that we were talking now about eco-fascism. So the idea is that we would have, you know, a sustainable economy, but it would be in a fascist state that would just enforce it and implement it and continue the wealth and class division just in a way that's sustainable. Um, how do you how do you feel about possibly uh, the idea of you know, a candidate coming up who is environmental and sustainable, but also authoritarian. Oh, that's a hard one. I think it's kind of a catch-22, right? Like, do you want your children to have a future? Do, and do you trust your fellow mankind to also implement the practices needed for that future? I think going historically, an authoritarian government would be necessary to make all of the changes. But I also think that if you implement an authoritarian government and you're kind of just trading off capital, you're trading man-made capital to natural capital, and that's gonna cause more issues and that's gonna breed resentment. And then you still have the issue of first world countries monopolizing stuff, right? Because that's that's the, the saying, we always talk about this, I'm environmental science minor, so I have a lot of classes on this. And if every country lived like America does, we would need five planets to sustain them all. Because that's what we've done. We've gone to other countries and we take their resources and we refine our materials there so that our pollution goes into their homes. So if you implemented a system like that, you're just going to further stratify those uh, people and it's going to cause more issues. But it's kind of hard. It's it's hard. It's like he says, either the people rise up or someone has to make them. But people are going to rebel to that too so it's just there's no good um 
I would disagree with the eco-fascist society. Like, that would not be good. I mean, because I would, like, also not, like, bring change. And, and I feel like a free country can also, like, do something, like, with the community. And also, like, tell these people, like, I mean, there's no point of return. Like, but, like, I mean, if there's a balance with, like, a, a free state and, like, actual policies with, like, about the environment, then it would make it, then it would make it very sustainable, a very sustainable environment and make it more balanced in keeping climate change, like, at bay. Right, so I think that's all I really had to say, but I think y'all that.